All right, guys, thank you for checking out this episode. I'm really excited today. I was able to get Casey Shiflett in for an interview. The topic that we're going to discuss is burnout and EMS. And I feel like this is a super important topic, especially considering the pandemic that we just got through. I was actually looking at an article this morning that was from 2019, just before the pandemic started in GEMS. And they were talking about like 60% burnout rates in EMS. They pulled a whole bunch of paramedics and EMTs and about 60% of them considered themselves burned out. And even a, a higher percentage were considering leaving EMS from that burnout percentage. And I just thought that was super unfortunate and that was pre-pandemic. So, I mean, you can imagine how people feel now, you know, after what we just went through, you know, a perspective change that I kind of had is I never feared getting whatever my patient was suffering from. Like I never worried about, you know, having chest pain or, you know, a communicable disease for my patients. Whereas in the pandemic, you kind of lived in some fear that all the patients you're transporting, you're going to catch this virus that they have, bring it home to your family, give it to your grandparents, you know, get sick of it yourself. And that was kind of a, a new thing, I feel like, for emergency medicine where we feared the people we were taking care of to a degree. And now that we've emerged from that, I feel like burnout is still a very important topic to discuss and kind of figure out some tools to kind of use to overcome it. Um, whether you're on the ambulance or in the ER, burnout's a huge topic right now, and a lot of people are feeling very burned out. The article defines it uh, with a couple of terms. Exhaustion, decreased productivity, cynicism. And again, those are all things that can lead to medical errors and poor patient outcomes. So I feel like it's an important thing to kind of figure out some tools and strategies to overcome burnout and actually enjoy your job and not just enjoy it, thrive in it. And I couldn't think of anyone more qualified to talk about this than somebody that's been in the field, I think, longer than I've been alive. And kind of figure out what's in your brain, pick your brain, and come up with some of these ways that you've thrived, at least from my perspective. You always have a great attitude when I see you, and you've been doing this a very long time. And so I feel like people really stand to benefit from kind of picking your brain and figuring out your perspectives. One disclaimer that I provide is that anything that we say is just our opinion. It doesn't reflect who we work for now, who we've worked for in the past. It's just our opinion only. So take it with, with just that in mind. Casey, if you wouldn't mind just kind of giving me some of your background and how long you've been in EMS, how long you were in EMT, how long you were a paramedic, that kind of stuff. Well, before you said, you know, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, I was going to say this is what burnout looks like. I, you know, I'm... 22, and uh, I've only been in the field for two years, so. Uh, You're but, brand new out of EMT school. Yeah, so I had hair and, and stuff uh, before I started. But anyway, which is true, I actually did. Um, so I believe I'm the longest practicing uh, paramedic in El Paso County Whoa. presently. Um, I, uh, I'm from Pueblo, Colorado. I was born and raised there. I was a wildcat. I went to Central uh, High School. And I actually went to EMT school. Actually, actually, that's not true. I didn't go to EMT school because back then you didn't have to be an EMT to work oh. on an ambulance. So I worked for my um, ex-father-in-law, um, Glenn Grinstead, who was one of my mentors and um, has um, passed away since just recently in the last couple of years. But anyway, um, I worked for him. He owned Alert Ambulance. and. You only had to have a uh, ambulance license from the county, and oh. so, but you had to take a test to get it, and it was basically an EMT test. And at 17, 18, uh, I took that test and passed it, and 
I worked on the ambulance, and then I went into the Air Force. Okay. Uh, once I was in the Air Force, uh, I became an EMT while I was there, going to night school, and any time that I was home on leave, I'd work on the ambulance, and, and I felt better about the job because I was now an EMT, and I yeah. could say, you know, but... But I first started working on the ambulance um, three days after my first child was born, which was um, August 10th of 1976. Um, so August 10th this year was 46 years that I've been wow. doing this. I've gone to paramedic school since I started. And uh, I went to paramedic school in 1979 and okay. became a uh, paramedic full-fledged, cleared, certified in March of 80. And so I've been a paramedic since March of 80. Gotcha. I worked in uh, Pueblo for from '76 until '83 okay. uh, in Pueblo full time, and then um, people like that I'd worked with down there, like Nancy Rush and Jeff Young. Jeff Young convinced me to come up here. He said, "If you okay. want to hone your craft, Colorado Springs is the place to do it," and he wasn't wrong. So I came up here to work with people like Randy Royal and Dave Mead and. Um, Rich Graff, and I was able to work with those folks, and did it honed me. Yeah, and so cool. I've been doing that since. What do you think is unique about Colorado Springs and El Paso County that a lot of other systems don't have? Well, initially, most of the people who went, who were working here, went to the same school. Okay. Uh, most of them, there, there were only a couple of schools in Colorado back then, and uh, St. Anthony's was one of them. And you know, I went to school at St. A's okay. and graduated there, and. We used to call it Holy Tony's by the sea because it was right by Sloan's Lake. And I'm proud to say that I was one of Jerry's kids, uh, Dr. Uh, Gerald Gordon. He's essentially the person who brought uh, paramedicine to Colorado. Oh, wow. Uh, yep. Very so cool. uh, I think that that had a little to do with it that, you know, we had uh, people, we had two ambulance companies, but almost everybody went to the same school. and. The overwhelming majority did anyway, and I think that we were kind of uh, we'd done our ride time at Denver General, and at the time Denver General, you know, Denver Health and Hospitals ambulance was probably one of the best places um, if you were a patient to ever encounter a paramedic, okay. uh, because your chances of making it out of the hospital alive was probably better than anywhere else in the okay. world. So um, most of us went to went to school up there, you know. Um, went through their uh, internships and, and stuff, and I think it just made us better medics. And um, we were free to do a lot of that stuff. Our physician advisors at the time um, were um, pretty aggressive and progressive, and you know, so, um, and it's just built since then. Right. You know, just builds and builds. So really kind of some leadership initially that was really, um, what's the word you used? Uh, not proactive. Um, well, it was progressive. Progressive. Yeah. Some very progressive yeah. leaders initially. For sure. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One thing I wanted to pick your brain about is the statement or the phrase that you say <laughs> when you clear base. At least for the 10 years that I was full-time, yeah. I heard it probably hundreds of times. I don't know if you still say it. Oh, every day. Let's hear, <laughs> let's hear it. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, medic. 12, we're clear base, ready to save lives, alleviate pain and suffering, wherever it's ugly head. We do this because we really like people. I love that. So, yeah. Why do you say that every day? Um, well, partially because it's true. Um, 
that's what we're there for. Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we are there for uh, saving lives and alleviating pain and suffering. More so, the the further out in the career that I got, the more it was not the saving the lives part because you know that happens or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, but the alleviating pain and suffering, we really can have a impact on people, and so um, that is true. Um, and the because I really like people part is sarcasm you know and that, how do we how do we get through our days we we're sarcastic people yeah, as a general right. rule and so um you know we see so much tragedy and so much bad that um sometimes we just have to be sarcastic and that's yeah. how we get through yeah i um, love that but and i say it because it i, I try to trip up the um dispatcher on the other end of the radio <laughs> and see how long it takes them to answer me sometimes because they're laughing but yeah. um, sometimes they don't yeah but, yeah from my perspective hearing that even if I was having a rough day or um, not enjoying my job I would kind of hear you clear base and say that and talk about what are, you know what you get into the field to do is to alleviate pain and suffering sometimes save lives if that opportunity happens right and I kind of like sit up in my seat a little bit straighter mm -hmm. and be like, okay, you know, this is what we're here to do. This is the job. Yeah. Like, get out of your head. This is what you're here to do. Yeah. And I like to think that a lot of people kind of felt that way, you know, when you clear base. So I think that has a huge impact. Well, I, so I, that. I love that you still yeah. do that every day. I think that's huge. Yeah, I've added a little to it sometimes. You know, I walk in the hospital and, you know, they'll ask me how I'm doing. You know, I always tell them, I'm just here, you know, glad to be part of the team and help in any possible way I can. Yeah. I got that from Mel Robinson, who retired from, you know, Memorial, but he right. was one of my instructors in paramedic school, by the way. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that's a, such a powerful statement and super uh, good perspective to have. Um, one thing I want to talk about is burnout is not really something that happens because of your duration of time in EMS, right? It's, like we, we see people that are six months out of the mm -hmm. academy, they've been an EMT for six months or a paramedic for six months, and you kind of see their attitude, their mentality, their bedside manner is terrible. They don't care about their patients. You know, they're um, less likely to give pain meds to something that's a really painful condition. You know, someone's having a kidney stone and they're they let their EMT tech the call. They didn't give pain medications. You see them in the hospital. They're very cynical. They're very arrogant a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And why do you think that is? Or what do you think it is that's contributing to them feeling burned out that's not related to their length of time in EMS? Well, I think that we, we live in a... 2022 is a much more cynical age than... 1976. It's, it just is. As, as we've progressed and all the things that we've seen, um, these last you know three years have been just awful um, on on staff, on not just us but police, fire, um, emergency um, technicians in the ER, um, X-ray techs, lab techs, um, nurses. PAs, nurse practitioners, doctors, it's, they've all felt that pressure. And I've, I've kind of seen that um, kind of um, cloud of cynicism over all those people. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that, you know, the, just the sheer pressure of the last few years has 
you know, added to that. Mm-hmm. But before that, we had burnout as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that sometimes, um, it, you know, it's kind of like um, teachers, you know, teachers go to school to be teachers and they don't get to teach until the very end on, on most cases and so they do their student teaching in the end and go man i really don't like kids yeah you know so you know now they've they've wasted this four years to get a degree in teaching and mm-hmm. you know now they they get in it and find out that it wasn't what it's cracked up to be you know yeah. and i think a lot of people get into ems thinking oh man you know i'm gonna drive with lights and siren it's gonna be cool you know um I'm going to have a, an air of respect heaped upon me um, that they don't necessarily have to earn, mm-hmm. you know, and they expect. Um, and uh, and I think that dealing with, you know, grandma 14 times in this, you know, in a month, that you know, should probably be in a nursing home and you know, f- continually falls or whatever, um, that doesn't stretch your um, intellect really as mm. far as the job goes I said I, I think that has a bit to do with it yeah um, so um, plus the sheer um, increase in workload mm. it, it, that has a ton to do with it and you know we're expected to you know have um, more training and I mean that's all heaped in on top of us, you know, mm-hmm. you have your normal amount of training that you would do to, for continuing ed to, to keep your certification. But, you know, as I do, um, you know, the companies that you work for, you know, they insist on, you know, you're going to have to redo EVOC, which is what we're in the middle of right now at AMR. Everybody that's been driving for <laughs> forever right. um, now has to sit in a, you know, a four-hour class to... Right. And I don't have a problem with it. I think it's a good thing. Uh, keeps you fresh, but um, it also cuts into your family time and, yeah, and sure. that kind of thing. So yeah. um, I think that those kind of pressures really um, uh, lead to, to burnout. Yeah. And um, some people just aren't meant for this job, and I think they get stuck in it and, mm-hmm. and just, you know, it makes them toasty yeah. and then they get you know and with those increase in job uh, in, in call volume um, pretty soon you start getting those calls that are really really heinous mm-hmm. you know um, kids um, you know burnt broken mm-hmm. beaten and um, you know do you see some just really bad um, calls yeah. um, that really weigh on you. And when you add all that together, it tends to make you crispy. Yeah, yeah, I agree completely. Um, that kind of leads to a couple other things I wanted to talk about. Um, I guess one is kind of along the same lines, talking about those, not necessarily kids, but um, the amount of death that you do see on the ambulance. As a PA in the ER, I'm really not exposed to that like I was on the ambulance. Um, There was one 48-hour shift I worked where I think I pronounced three different people in 48 hours. And having that discussion with family and, um, you know, determining whether the patient's non-viable and you don't work them at all or whether you do everything you can for a half hour to try to bring this person back and then having to have that discussion with the family 
um, I would have considered myself burned out after that shift. I mean, yeah. three of those discussions is it weighs on you really it heavy. It's a lot to take to take in. And they don't teach you that in school. I mean, how are you supposed to prepare for that? You know, how are you supposed to prepare to have that conversation? And I guess if you, you've done that a million times and what would your advice be to somebody new to paramedicine or even a new EMT in having that discussion and kind of, I guess, what mentalities do you have kind of surrounding that? Uh, well, first of all, I'd like to give kudos where kudos are you know, warranted. In Colorado Springs, um, you know, we dual respond with Colorado Springs Fire Department and um, probably eight out of ten times the lieutenant will handle that mm -hmm. issue. You know, they'll, they'll handle that notifying the, the family that, you know, we're, we're going to stop our efforts and so on and so forth. And, um, but it's not always the case, and um, but those guys seem to be pretty good at it. Yeah, uh, and gals actually. Um, but um, I think one of the things that uh, I've found is you can't. It it is received better when you don't sugarcoat stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, you know they're gone. That doesn't quite hit the hit the mark, you know. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what do you mean they're gone? Oh, did you take them to the hospital? Right. No, I didn't take them to the hospital. Um, you know, but well, I'm also not crass. You know, um, they're they're celestial discharge. You know, right. you know they're, they're assuming room temperature. No, yeah. you know. So, I mean, so I think the the thing that I would say is that you have to be direct. I'm sorry to tell you this, but um, your um, significant other or whatever is has da has died, and there's nothing more that can be done for them, um, either here or at the hospital. Right. Um, you know, and uh, we don't tell them, you know, oh, they're in a better place. You know, because we we have no idea what their what their spirituality is. We mm -hmm. have no idea what their beliefs are. We have no idea, um, and so. Um, uh, I try to stay away from that. Mm -hmm. You know, they're in a better place. Oh, you know, well, they're suffering. They're, there's no more suffering now. Right. And, um, they can come to those their own conclusions. Sure. So I think simpler is better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's always those inevitable questions. Of, okay, well, where do we go from here? Well, do you have a family, you know, preacher? Or is there someone we can call for you? Are there family members that we need to call and get in touch with for mm -hmm. you? Uh, which we offer, uh, you know, I always offer that, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> so um, there, there's that part of it, um, and also again going back to fire and PD, you know, they've got a chaplaincy that's uh, available that they can, you know, have respond, which also helps a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, it's uh, that's probably one of the most difficult parts is dealing with the family. Um, you can kind of distance yourself from the patient themselves, mm -hmm. but you, it's hard to do that with, with yeah. your family. And, you know, it tugs at your heart. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, one other thing, too, is kind of talking sympathy versus empathy. Yeah. Um, you know, my understanding of sympathy is it's kind of understanding from your perspective, and empathy is more putting yourself in someone else's shoes 
Do you think that being too empathetic in emergency medicine is kind of an unhealthy so perspective? That's funny. I think of it the other way. Oh, really? Yeah, I think of I think of empathy as uh, being more distant and understanding what um, they're going through um, or trying to understand, and you know that you know this is bad and you wouldn't want it heaped on you. Um, I, I feel sympathy is more like. Um, being part of that and and I think being part of that issue and mm -hmm. so um, more like so, so this here's a case uh, a lot of people that know me know that uh, my son had cancer and passed away so um, you know that was one of the hardest times in my life right Absolutely. well so um, when um, not too long after Nick died, um, Shauna Hamner, who is one of our dispatchers, um, she felt so bad because she realized that she was sending me on these like hospice calls mm -hmm. every day after I came back to work, and um, she felt really bad, you know. So she she sympathized with me, uh, but. Um, what I told her is it made me be feel better to be able to go in there and, and talk to these people and mm -hmm. kind of help them through that. In that case, that was sympathy because I felt what they felt because yeah. I had lived through that yeah. issue, you know. Whereas, um, you know, when, you know, grandpa's had a heart attack and passed away in his sleep and, you know, now I have to talk to grandma now I'm empathetic because, you know, that's not close to what I've lived. Sure. You know what I mean? So um, I think that um, probably empathy is better to, to have. Mm -hmm. um, some distance. Some distance. And, um, but in some cases, um, there's no getting around sympathy. Yeah. You know, because you, um, you live, live that. And, you know, I had a, a call when I was um, younger, when my son Nick was 18 months, he was very sick and he was in the hospital. And um, I was a brand new paramedic, and I um, had gone on a traffic accident in Pueblo. And the um, kid that was involved in the accident was two, so pretty close to Nick's age. Um, got cut in half in the accident. Was still alive. Had he been dead, I probably would have been a lot better with it. Mm -hmm. But I had to work on him. Mm -hmm. um, I had to transport him, and he rested on the way to the hospital. I got to the hospital, and you know, I'm I'm this new paramedic. I'm a stud, so I'm doing CPR on this kid in the ER, and I get lightheaded, like I'm going to pass out. So I had to excuse myself, sit down, and I was like, "This is BS." I can do this, so I went back over there, same thing happened, and I realized it really hit close to home, yeah. you know, and so um, that was sympathetic, mm -hmm. you know, and I couldn't imagine what those, that family was going through, right. you know, and, you know, just, it almost ended my career, actually. Wow. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, my father-in-law, Glenn, he told me, those cases happen so rarely mm -hmm. and you know um, and rather he was trying to you know um, get me to keep going uh, he said you know that patient had the best possible chance with you mm -hmm. because of what you know and your skill and so on and so forth which 
you know, I appreciate it. But yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I think that's a really good story. I mean, sympathy will take its toll on you as a does. provider for sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it can make you a better provider in a lot of those instances where you can actually relate to someone's situation. Um, I have a similar one. Um, you know, my wife and I had a miscarriage a couple of years ago, and that's a conversation I have to have a lot in the ER is, hey, you know, you're likely having a miscarriage. And, you know, a lot of times I will be sympathetic, you know, and like how would I want the provider to tell me that, you know, and I think about the the way the provider approached it with us and said we were having a miscarriage and the attributes they expressed that I appreciated and I try to sit down and actually take some time with the patient instead of just rushing in and out and sit down and answer the questions they have about it and you know sympathize with them which certainly is harder on you emotionally mm -hmm. to sit down and do that but I think a lot of times patients do appreciate it if you're coming from that perspective mm -hmm. um, but yeah certainly over time and doing that too much, I think can really take its toll on oh, you. And absolutely, you know, at the end of the day, you want to leave the job at the job so you can be there for your family, mm -hmm. and that's not always possible. Mm -hmm. So, I no. think that's important for people to kind of understand when they are being sympathetic versus when they're being empathetic and kind of guard their minds a little bit. Like, mm -hmm. hey, I was really sympathetic on that call. I've been through a similar situation, and you know, I because I express so much sympathy, you kind of need to be aware of what that does to you mentally and go home and form a healthy habit around that, you know. We all know people that don't have healthy habits surrounding EMS and they, they sympathize a lot at work and they go home and drink or yep. um, have all these other unhealthy habits. So I think just being aware of that when you're doing it is super important um, or else it'll definitely tear you down. Oh yeah, it eats you. Yeah. It eats you from the inside out. And yeah, if you <clears throat> if you sympathize too much, you can't sympathize with every patient. And I've seen paramedics that have done that, and they're not with us anymore. Mm -hmm. um, either they've left, um, found something else, thank God, mm -hmm. or they, you know, they, you know, they've met their demise mm -hmm. in some way, shape, matter, or form, drank themselves to get death pills, um, whatever. Mm -hmm. you know? And we've had an um, some of that here in Colorado Springs, mm -hmm. um, and it's you know it's awful, but yeah. it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that if you're somebody that who can only sympathize and not distance yourself, it ends up being a detriment to you. Mm -hmm. And maybe this isn't the field for you if if you're sympathizing every time. You yeah. know, at a certain point, with the vast majority of our patients, I think you need to see that they're a patient. They're not your family member. Yeah. Um, in order to stay healthy for yourself and to be there for the next patient. True. Um, but that's a hard, hard thing to do sometimes. It really is. I, I, and being a, you know, a field training instructor and um, um, a teacher, you know, I, I try to tell the students and my interns, I try to tell them um, that, um, you know, they'll ask me how long you've, you've been doing this so long. How have you been doing it? And I always tell them off the kind of off the cuff. Well, you know, it's not my emergency, and and mm -hmm. it's not my emergency. It's it's their emergency. I've got mm -hmm. other emergencies yeah. that um, I would never expect. You know, the plumber that I just picked up to help me with that yeah. emergency. You know what I mean? Uh, that's in my life, unless it was you know obviously a plumbing emergency. Mm -hmm. But um, but anyway, I I. 
I just tell them, and sometimes they think that's harsh, but it's, you know, it's the facts and it's reality that if you want to, if you want to do this job, do it well, do it for an extended period of time, um, <clears throat> you have to adopt that kind of mentality where um, you can distance yourself from the patient in a way that you can take care of the patient and do those things without, you know, with the least amount of discomfort for them and so on and so forth, but yet stay um, emotionally neutral yeah. as much as you can. And I think that that's one of the things that they also, excuse me, don't teach. I've, along that same line, too, um, I remember sitting, uh, you know, we're doing more resilience type of training now, you know, after the fact um, in continuing ed and stuff. And I think uh, I sit next to Matt Berglund one day in a paramedic refresher class, and <clears throat> it was one of the first classes that I can remember where we had somebody come in that talked about resiliency and, and how to, you know, maintain at this job. And um, Matt and I just kind of sat there and we were like, well, I don't have that issue. I don't have that issue. You know, we were talking about P PTSD and so on and so forth. And we were like, I don't have that. And so um, I took the opportunity afterwards to talk to the, um, she was a psychologist. Um, I said, I've got a different issue, and, and Matt was standing there as well, and he agreed. Um, I said, I feel bad that I don't feel bad. And she said, oh, we get that too, you know. So um, it's just so multifaceted, the yeah. issue. And um, I think we compartmentalize. You know, mm -hmm. Tracy and I were talking about this today um, earlier that um, we tend to compartmentalize stuff. Um, and um, I, I told her, I said, we, I think we do both comp put good, bad, everything in compartments, different compartments, good mm -hmm. or bad. Um, and it's kind of like a random access memory. We can kind of pull from them if we need them. Yeah. Or we can lock them away and keep them locked away. Yeah. Um, but I think that, um, you know, we, we tend to segment things off and put yeah. them away. and. Yeah, I totally see that. I think, yeah, because I mean, you name any number of just horrible things that we've seen, mm -hmm. especially doing this 46 years, you've seen everything. You name it, you've seen it. And I think back to the horrible tragedies that I've witnessed and the things that I've seen. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of the same way. I don't really feel like I have, you know, PTSD because of it. But I also, it's kind of odd that I don't feel mm -hmm. worse about it. But I think that ability to compartmentalize, a lot of times people say that's a bad thing, but that's a necessity mm -hmm. in EMS. I mean, you can't be thinking about your last patient when you're running on your next one and still be a good provider. And mm -hmm. none of us are perfect at that. And I think that's an important thing. Going back to the sympathy versus empathy thing, I think it's really good perspective from you that you have had calls where you're sympathetic mm -hmm. and you also realize that you can't do that all the time. Mm -hmm. And you're not you're not just empathetic. You're not standoffish. You're not viewing this just as a patient every time. You've had times where you've been sympathetic and you've had times when you're empathetic. And I think just the awareness of that is super powerful for mm -hmm. people to realize what they're doing in the situation um, and not to be one or the other all the time. I think just knowing that about yourself is very powerful mm -hmm. um, for people and explains why you can do this for so long 
just that awareness. I mean, because clearly you're very aware when you're in different modes. Um, and I feel like I am as well. And I think that just, that means you can do this for a while and still be healthy. And mm -hmm. as long as you're not, you know, taking it out in the wrong ways or opening those compartments when you shouldn't, or, yeah. you know, open up a bottle of alcohol when you get home and opening that compartment, I think, I think that's powerful. Yeah. I, I think you do need to open those um, compartments once in a while sometimes yeah. just to, for several reasons, keep yourself humble. Um, uh, cause I think we get a God like, um, mentality, you know, you know, I can, I'm doing this, yeah. you know, and, um, I think that uh, sometimes we need to be humbled and uh, sometimes you need to open a box and go, man, I really screwed that call up, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, maybe I shouldn't do that again, <laughs> you yeah. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, but I think you do, do have to segment those things off and just keep them for whenever you need them. Right. Yeah. I think that's an important point. What you said is we don't perform well on every call. We don't, whether it's a skill that you didn't complete or a differential that you weren't really considering when that was the problem the whole time. Um, you know, we run these calls that don't go perfect. You're like, I couldn't get that innovation or whatever it is. And, you know, when it's something like that, I think we can be really hard on ourselves. And that, that goes into a compartment, you know, that call that I wish I had done better on, and that can eat at you too. I mean, that's another huge point that I wasn't thinking about, but um, how do you get past that stuff? Well, I, I see that stuff all the time with, because I've got students, and you know, I, I've got the blessing and the luxury of um, longevity. Mm -hmm. And um, believe me, I've made every mistake. I've given the wrong meds. I've given the wrong dosages. I haven't been able to get a tube when I should have been able to get that tube. Mm -hmm. um, I missed some, completely missed the assessment, and and go, you know, have an EM, you know, brand new EMT go. Well, what do you think about this? Yeah, you know, maybe it's that, and go. Yeah. Okay, you're right. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> thanks for helping me out. But right. you know. You do have that, and um, you know I, I have seen so many times when, for instance, like when when people are just learning how to do IVs. You know, it's such an important aspect of our job, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much pressure about doing it. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> you know, um, you don't get them all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you just don't. And I've seen people beat themselves up over, yeah. you know, and they get in slumps. You know, <laughs> they'll start try ten IVs and not get any of them. Yeah. You know. And, you know, somebody will walk in and, you know, take the IV catheter, throw it behind their back and get it. And it's like, you know, like, you know, so they get hard on themselves yeah. about that. But, you know, so I'll always ask them, okay, well, let's, let's analyze this. Did you put the tourniquet on right? Yeah. Did you disinfect the area correctly? Yeah. Did you pick the proper vein? Yeah. How about the size of needle? Yeah. Okay. Um, did you use the correct angle of attack with that angiocath? Yeah. Did you get into the vein? Uh, yeah. What happened? Well, the vein blew. Well, there's no accounting for the cooperation of the patient's vein. Uh, right. I said, you've done all your job right. Now, now it's up to the patient's vein to do its yeah. job right. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. And yeah. you've got 10 people in a row that you've not, yeah. now not been able to do that on. Mm -hmm. And they've not cooperated. Right. Now, and I, I'll watch them, you know, and I'll say, hey, maybe you should try this or do this. You yeah. know. But if they're doing it right, I have no suggestion for them. But just get on the horse and do it again. Yeah. Stop thinking about all yeah. the ones you missed. Yeah. 
Yeah, the next one's the next one. one. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, so you see that and, you know, that leads to all sorts of issues. Yeah. I, I think that's huge. I think that example of something as simple as an IV mm. that you have to do a ton and not beating yourself up over that. Because I think that is something you see newer people do is like, ah, I couldn't get that IV. Whereas people that have been doing this a while, it's like, well, I didn't get an IV. You get some, you don't get some. You can only control so many of those variables. But I think moving on from that and not beating yourself up, I mean, I think we can kind of extrapolate that to the higher level skills, the innovations, mm -hmm. the medications that we have that are, you know, super dangerous if given at the wrong time. You can only you know, control so many things. And if you, you have to at least learn from that, you know, yeah. that last call, you can't keep dwelling on it. You can't keep beating yourself up or it's going to impact your next patient. So you got to learn from it. You got to move on. And that's really hard to do, you know, when we're dealing with life and death and our decisions have consequences. I mean, that's a really hard skill to have to not beat yourself up over a call yeah. and move on. But I think that's, that's foundational to doing this job for any length of time is you have to move on from that last call for sure and i, I and it and it happens so quickly mm -hmm. and you know I, I i can't count the number of times i've i've gone Shh, and went oh wait <laughs> i need to pull that back and can't do it now yeah. you know so it's you know but it, you learn from it and it makes you better mm -hmm. so and you have to learn from it. If you don't learn from it, then that's where the issue is. Yeah. Everybody makes mistakes. Right. If you learn from them, then mistakes are great. Yeah. You know, it's, it's how we learn. Yeah. You know, it's practice, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's medical practice. It's not medical, you know, they say it's art, but it's, it is yeah. an art, but it's, it's a practiced yeah. art. It's not it's an exact not, science. No, it's not. Yeah. This is, yeah, it's very much the practicing mm -hmm. of medicine, and yeah. they call it that for a reason. Yeah. And if you don't learn from your mistakes, I mean, you got to assign meaning. I heard somebody talk about, you know, all your past experiences. You have to assign meaning to that or else it's nothing. And you're, you're going to stay in that horrible moment in, in your past until you've assigned meaning to it. Right. And assigning meaning is learning from your mistakes and being able to move forward or else you're stuck there. Well, it does, and it makes you, it makes you timid and, sh and shy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when your patient needs you to be bold and, mm -hmm. and specific and... Yeah. Um, you know, and that's what our patients need us to be. Yeah, you know, they need absolutely. us to be able to make, you know, split-second decisions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, in the field, we don't have the um, luxury of pulling labs other than the sugar. You know, um, we we can't tell what the lactate is. We can't. You know, we can guess. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't tell what um, you know what their pH is. We can guess. Right. You know, um, because of the other presentations, but um, and we have to determine those particular things and um, if you dwell on your mistakes then you tend to pull back and not do the things that you were trained to do right. and that you know how to do and that you've done in the past and it's worked mm -hmm. um, you know because if you let those things keep you back it's not good for you as a in the career and it's not good for the patient obviously yeah yeah that's really good yeah Um, one thing I also read in that article, they had a quote from an ER doctor that was talking about burnout and it said, burnout is the response of a normal person to a toxic environment. And I actually kind of disagree with that because yeah. I think 
how you respond to an environment is kind of on you. Yeah. I don't think that, you know, we can't control the scenes that you walk into. You can't control the patient that you're going to see. And so I feel like defining burnout as just a normal response to a toxic environment. Like we can't control those environments. We can't control the chaos on a scene. We can't control the death on a scene. We can't control that stuff. And so I feel like that's kind of not a good perspective because if you, you have to control how you respond. We see people that respond to certain situations differently. And I feel like that's blaming it on the environment. It's like, well, we're in emergency medicine. Yeah. We're gonna see what we're gonna see. And so I feel like that quote's terrible yeah, because I feel like it, it puts the, the control completely out of your, your abilities, you know? And well, if, yeah, and that's what we want to be in is control, right? Right. And that's what we want to be. Um, <laughs> I mean, I see, I see EMS, I see our job as being like an amoeba. You know, amoeba changes all the time. Mm -hmm. It adapts, it, you know? You put it in a square box, it's going to be square. You put it in a round box, it's going to be round. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I like going into different areas. I like going into the dark, seedy places at, in the middle of the night where, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. You, have to, you know, but I also like going into the emergency or into the, uh, like, nursing home and knowing that I'm going to see, you know, Grandma or grandpa in there with a broken hip, and I'm, yeah. you know, and I'm just going to be able to okay, we can yeah. take care of this, you know. Um, and you can enjoy both types of yeah, calls. Yeah, you can. And um, in fact, you know, I've learned so much more from like transferring patients. Like when I was flying, I had so much time to look over yeah. doctors' charts. I learned how to chart because. Yeah. I read them so much and I had nothing else to do on that long flight than to yeah. look at the patient's records and go, okay, well, it's, what's omphalorexis? <laughs> you know, well, it's a ruptured belly button. Okay, yeah. well, I've got that. You know, so I've learned more because of that. But um, I've been able to um, glean, try to glean something from every call and I try to learn something from every call. And I think if you're, if you say that you're burned out because of, you know, you burn out because of certain calls or certain yeah. types of things that you... Yeah. That's huge. I don't I want people to miss that because it's the same thing in the ER. Most of my patients I see are going to be simple. Mm -hmm. They're not dying. Yeah. They're okay to go home. Mm -hmm. I have a little more work to do to prove they're not dying sometimes than you have on the ambulance. But most of my patients are low acuity. Yeah. And if you're not choosing to take that as an opportunity to learn something mm -hmm. or... You know, even just with documentation, like how am I justifying in the chart that this patient isn't dying? Because there's an art to that too, you yeah. know? You know, what are their risk factors and all this stuff? I think if you're not learning something from every call, it's gonna burn you out. You're yeah. like, ah, oh, this is a waste of my skills. Yeah. I'm a paramedic. Yeah. If I'm not innovating every patient, what am I doing here? Right. They can drive themselves to the ER. But that perspective is huge yeah. to, I think, preventing burnout because if you can use every call as an opportunity, regardless of the acuity, you're getting something out of that. You're learning something, whether it's looking through their paperwork and being like, oh, I've never seen that medication before. I wonder what that does. Or reading their charter. I mean, there's something to be learned from every single patient. And I think if you're not doing that, that will, lean, that will lead to burnout because you're, you're thinking about all these high-level skills that yeah. you can do. You're not cardioverting a patient. You're not intubating them. You're not giving these crazy medications that we have. 
And that's huge. Yeah. I think that's super, super good perspective. I, I see it as, um, I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a uh, new paramedic a few weeks ago was talking about a really great call that he ran and he, he was just on fire. You know, he was, he was just like, you could see the electricity floating off of him. Yeah. And, and you know, cause he was just so high from it. And, mm -hmm. um, I said, w weren't you the guy that was burnt out last week because you'd taken the same patient, drunk, fighting, you know, being a jerk, um, you know, like seven times in the last right. four days? I said, what you did when you did that, I said, you paid for this. Yeah. I so, you know, you, you have to pay with some of those yeah. less desirable calls yeah. to get that really good one. And you only get that really good one maybe 10% of the time. Exactly, if that. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, you have to pay the piper. Yeah. And, um, you know, with, with running maybe 200 calls of, you know, Oh, I fell down and it hurts. Okay, well, can you get up? Yeah, I can get up. Do you want to go to the hospital? Yeah, I probably should go to the hospital. You know, in, in the back of your mind, you're going, you don't need to go to the hospital. Right. You know, and so that, you know, and then you get the drunk jerk guy that wants to spit on, you know, fight you and spit at you and, you know, threaten to kill you and your family and yeah. so on and so forth. You have to pay. Those are the things you pay um, for yeah. to get that really good right. call. And none of us could run that really good call every time anyway. Yeah. I mean, I kind of consider that like operating as your, your peak state as a paramedic, yeah. right? Is using those skills that you practice so much. And the stress level, though, yeah. like that's, I mean, but that's why you felt the energy off of him, right? Because yeah. it gives you energy, yeah. you know, especially if you perform really well and those skills went really smooth yeah. on that particular call. That gives you so much energy that will carry you for weeks yeah. of running the more benign calls. But I feel like you can only do that peak state, that you know, super high level paramedicine, so many times. You can't do that every call, yeah. or you know, you just can't survive that way. You know, and, it's, it's and too thank, much stress. Yeah, and thank God for emergency nine one one and Chicago Fire and um, all those things. That that's all they. You yeah. Know, so it's the only thing they do. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's not reality. But it's not reality. And it can't be expected to be reality. Well, yeah. You know, when, when emergency 911 came out, you know, they saved everybody. And I said, that's that's not reality. Mm -hmm. You know, we saved 10%. Yeah. You know, in a lucky year, mm -hmm. we saved 10%. You know, right. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah. yeah but <laughs> that's good. Was it the mic buzzing? No, it was, okay. I think okay. it's my... No, I just want to be sure. I just want to be sure. I didn't think so. It's my point. Boy, I think we've just about got through everything here. Really? How much time we at? Uh, 48 minutes. Dang. Time's flying by. <laughs> I mean, I guess some of the last things I want to talk to you about are what advice, just in general, do you have for new <clears throat> EMTs, new paramedics, or that person that feels burned out? They want to be a paramedic for years. They want this is their career. This is what they train for. They want to keep doing it. What, what advice do you have so that they can continue this and not feel burned out? Oh boy, um, that's that's the twenty dollar question, and I it's that's tough because it's so. What burns me out is not going to be what burns you out, yeah. and um, so there's no like catch all remedy 
for that. Um, I think you have to, uh, and I've found this out in just the last year or so. My knees are pretty bad. I've got some arthritis in my thumb and um, and stuff. But because I'm getting old, I'm like 180. But um, I know I don't look it. Uh, but um, uh, I, I think that you have to, um, in this job especially, uh, you know, carry a a healthier lifestyle than what we normally do. I think, you know, don't get me wrong, and I don't want them to stop doing it, but, you know, when we go into the emergency department here in Colorado Springs, it doesn't matter which ER it is, um, we've got chips, soda, this is water, um, soda, um, you know, snacks, carbs out the ash. Yeah. It's, you know, and we get those and we actually you know you think about it we actually have more of a sedentary um job right we're sitting down we're riding around mm -hmm. you know um we get out to take care of the patient we put the patient in the back of the ambulance we sit we go to the hospital we get in the hospital we make our rounds talking to folk and then we sit and do our paperwork yeah um, we get back in the ambulance and we sit you know so you know our it's kind of active, but in a, it's, a, it's an active inactivity yeah. you know, kind of thing. And so I think eating healthier, and which is hard. It's hard yeah. to do. Um, you know, you get somebody like Dennis Westling who, gosh, I mean, look at him. He's got like 2% body fat, <laughs> big jerk. And so, you know, but he, he eats like a horse. I mean, he eats... You know, certain times a day, he makes sure that he, you know, at least has his snack and, and, and stuff. And so he eats like five meals a day. Yeah. You know, but... But he's not eating the chips from no. the hospital and the Pepsis and... He will eat ice cream, though. Hmm. I know he does that. Yeah. So um, he gets in trouble for that. Uh, but uh, but anyway, a uh, healthy lifestyle, I think, yeah. is one of the things that, that leads um, to better psyche, for mm -hmm. sure. Because you're not worrying about your weight or, or yeah. stuff and and you know i've lost a ton of weight in the last year that and i feel so much better yeah. you know and i think i do my job better i think my family life is better yeah um you're less prone probably to a back injury yeah. and yeah uh, you know because i'm you know i try to get in the gym at least three days a week i'm busy you know yeah. i've got kids and and they keep you busy yeah. and coming and going and thank god tyler can drive now because he can help out but you gotta take care of yourself you right? do i mean i think i think that's key i think how you eat really matters if you're getting enough sleep yeah. that matters and that's all this is hard to do this is, is something you know, we're not saying we're perfect at it all. Yeah. It's something you got to work at, yeah. you know, and I think that's important. And I think we tend to, to uh, <clears throat> it's hard to say and hard to do, but we, I think we tend to bring our jobs home. We tend to bring our home to the job, and it's hard to, to, to keep those separate sometimes, and um, sometimes they both suffer. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the issues. Um, uh, you know, Staying away from, you know, mind-altering substances yeah. um, or um, alcohol, you know, yeah. as a crutch. No, I'm not saying don't drink. You know, right. everybody, you know, I like to have a little shot of whiskey once in a while, too. You know, but I don't do it to excess, and I don't do it every night. Yeah. And, um, and if you are, then maybe you need help. Yeah. You know, um, I think uh, one of the other things, too, um, that I would tell somebody new is listen um if somebody tells you <laughs> or suggests you know you may need to 
talk to somebody or mm -hmm. hey or is somebody is something going on with you that we could discuss right. um, listen yeah. because um, not only do we become friends and workmates we actually become family in this job it's mm -hmm. so stressful um, not necessarily because of the call but because of just everything impacting and, and compounding on us um, sometimes it seems like the people that we work with are more family than our family mm -hmm. and um, so you know I try to listen when somebody comes to me and says are you okay you know and it makes me reflect and go well maybe I'm not okay let's you know maybe yeah. I need to talk to you you know um, Rob Wildhorse and I have that kind of relationship and mm -hmm. you know and, and Curtis Roberts and does too um, so um, I think listening to our peers um, that helps yeah and you know I would say you know if somebody says something listen yeah um, uh, I think that you need outlets um, physical outlets mental outlets um, mm -hmm. gosh <laughs> I'm in the middle of a book what is it oh it's about um, the glomerulus. Oh, come on, really? What is it? A novel? It's not a novel. Come on, you know, read something. Read a spy novel. Yeah. Or read, you know, you know, historical fiction yeah. or, or whatever. But but get away from medicine yeah. um, per se, and and you know, distract in another completely different direction. Yeah. Find a hobby. Woodworking yeah. is great. Just, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot up here yeah. it does but it doesn't and um, it's just a completely different box that you have to think stuff yeah. and it gets you away from you know remembering what acid base balance is yeah. and um, and that kind of thing I said I, th I think so that's one of the things um, try to find something else to do um, when you're off or even when you're on work you know mm. gosh making bracelets or something yeah. you know whatever right. um, Leland um, Holderman's a great example. Steve Barry is a great example. Mm -hmm. Artists, you know, Leland's great. Steve is funny, funny, funny man, and yeah. you know his cartoons are so, you know, on point. You know, even though they're about us, but you know it's still a distraction for him and yeah. um, and stuff. Um, don't lose your sense of humor, and if you don't have a sense of humor find one yeah, because okay. you got to have one in this in this job yeah um uh, i <laughs> i cleared base the other day and um you know we've got shift codes now and i said our shift code isn't here in here it's for the first to put in the you know the communications part of the of the job and you know the dispatcher said well it's not built yet um what time are you off and i said well what time is it now and she didn't think it was funny at all <laughs> you know and i paid for it by going on a out-of-town transfer but um but i thought it was hilarious you know but um you, you need to find a sense of humor and maintain a sense of humor and you know you could tell me right now who the funniest people in this job are mm -hmm. and i would probably agree with you yeah. you know um you know so that's and, and they've been around too for a while Eddie Baker Terry Zog they're funny funny people yeah you know but they um, you know they've, they've that's how they work through their you know some of their hard yeah. times and um, I think uh, those are some of the things um, and 
you know, just do the job the best you can do. And just realize that it's not always the best that somebody else can do, but it's, you need to do the job the best that you can do. Yeah. And just strive to, strive for, but, you know, to, for perfection, but know that you're never going to ever get it. Right. You're not going to make it. It's like a, um, it's like playing golf. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think all of that's really good advice and just the awareness of when you are getting burned out. Mm -hmm. Like, which, which one of these things are you not being very good at? Yeah. Are you not having a sense of humor about your job? Are you not getting enough sleep at night? How are you eating? How yeah. much are you drinking? Yeah. I think, because none of us are perfect at it, but I think the more of those elements you can incorporate, the less burned out you're going to be. Because yeah. like you said, there's no one strategy to prevent burnout. <clears throat> there's no, even in that article I was reading, it's like all their advice is, you know, it's not super helpful, right? Mm -hmm. But it's because there's no easy solution to there's, it. There's not. It's so complex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, and it, this probably won't, it won't be popular with a lot of people, but um, I think that you have to have s some spiritual um, awareness and realize that, you know, we're not in charge of what we do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I've seen it so many times, and. and, and Case in point, uh, I was in um, uh, Winter Park with a bunch of our peers, and um, we were riding bikes, and man, it was just beautiful out there, you know, and I, and I looked up at him and I went, man, God is great, you know, and one of them said, you believe in God? And I said, absolutely. And he goes, how can you with all the stuff that we see? And I said, how can you not with all the stuff that we see? Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, how many times have we gone um, on calls where, you know, we did everything right. The patient was young. The patient was healthy. You know, we got the tube. We got the line. We got the drugs. We got the electricity. We did everything right. It happened right in front of us. And they end up dying. And, you know, and then we go on the next call and, you know, it's old decrepit grandpa who's been smoking for you know 86 years three packs a day and we can't get the tube we can't get the line we can't do anything and they walk out of the damn hospital mm -hmm. two days later how mm -hmm. is that it's not in our hands it cannot be in our hands um thanks a lot for your time casey i think that if people watch this and especially watch it a couple of times i think it'll really give them a lot of really good perspective um if people are feeling burned out i'll put casey's email my email down so you can reach us we'd be more than happy to email you back talk to you on the phone meet with you um, if you really are feeling burned out you know we want to help you with that i think casey's found great ways to not be burned out uh, myself i feel like i've figured out how to do this job for a long time without feeling burned out um, even in the er um, so please reach out to us if you if you feel so inclined if you felt like this video was valuable please comment um, we're curious your, what you guys liked what you didn't like um, subscribe to the channel uh, like it that will all help me continue to be able to do this um, and just remember that there are very few careers and jobs where you have the opportunity to save a life and while that opportunity opportunity doesn't come every day it is around the corner so you always got to be ready to take that opportunity so go out there and be the best providers that you guys can be